Well, this is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm Ross. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. I am so, so glad uh, that you joined this conversation today. Uh, today, I'm joined by Matt Markins and Mark Campbell. Matt serves as the president and CEO at Awana, and Mark is a veteran in the church ministry space uh, with particular focus on resources for children's ministry. If you haven't met Mark, I will say that Mark is the kind of guy where it's like a six degrees of Mark Campbell situation. If you talk to somebody in this world long enough, you're going to meet somebody who knows Mark Campbell. So welcome both of you to the podcast. Thanks, Ross. So uh, we are here today to talk about children's ministry in the new reality. And that is a research project that Awana adventured with, uh, partnered with the Barna Group on. And we're going to dive into why that happened, what we think uh, stands out from that. and But I want to sort of set the table a little bit as we make sure that people who are listening connect with why this matters. So Matt, you know, you are someone who has led a lot of these efforts. How do we get to this particular research project? Why now? Why work with Barna? Well, okay, so right here, what do I have? A copy of the Bible. Uh, there's a book in the Bible that we all know and love. Some of us are reading it daily called the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's a book about learning, right? Like we can, we can have a lot of information, but if it's not converted into wisdom that informs how we make the best decisions, you know, we're probably not going to be very, we're probably gonna be foolish people, right? So sure. The book of Proverbs is, is really trying to communicate to the reader, which is us, is trying to communicate like we need to learn. We need to learn and become more wise so we can make the best decisions and flourish, be the type of human humans that God wanted us to be. And Jesus really fleshes that out in the Sermon on the Mount. So yeah. when you think of research, research is really similar. Why do we research? Because we want to listen and learn. And when we learn, we have like what we call insights, which is like, aha, like, <laughs> oh my goodness, look at this. This is so important because this is going to inform how we make the best decisions possible. So just really, really briefly, that's why we think research is important. So uh, Ross, you held up your copy. I have mine, Children's Ministry and the New Reality. Uh, if, if you're in children's ministry, yeah, if you're in children's ministry, this is important. Why? Because there's so little substantial research that's done in the children's ministry space, especially by the leading Christian research firm, which is the Barnegar. Like they're one of the leading firms, if not the leading firm on the globe in the Christian space. This, this project, Ross, as you know, is the largest children's ministry research project they've ever conducted. So a huge, just so proud to be able to be a part of that. But now let's take a step back and like give like why did we do this? So yeah. uh, a lot of people, uh, some people have read our book Resilience. In chapter ten of Resilient, we get into uh, the the basis for what are the primary factors that form a child disciple. How did we arrive at those? Uh, well, we arrived at those primary factors a few ways. Number one, we looked at like how did Jesus make disciples in the Gospels. But the second thing we did, we did a ton of research. Yeah. Not only not only other organizations research, but we did our own. So in order to arrive at the Barna research, a lot of people don't know that Awana, look at this, Awana <laughs> has done a lot of research over since 2013. Yeah. So this work here uh, represents about six or seven different projects we've conducted. I've been a part of commissioning eight different research projects uh, by independent outside organizations 
And so this work right here we did with the Barna Group is really the culmination of all of these other projects. By the time we brought our thesis to the Barna Group, they said, wow, you guys have done a phenomenal job yeah. of validating your claims. Why did they say that? Because we've already done a lot of research in the children's ministry space. But really, what was the research on? If you could boil it down to one question, Ross, it's this question. What is it the local church does that leads to lasting faith in children? Yeah. In children's ministry, we've been really tasked in the church with how do we get more kids to the church, which is a good question, but there's a better question in our post-Christian age, and it's what do we do with kids that leads to lasting faith? That's why we've been doing research, and that's why we did this project with the Barna Group. Yeah, and I hope people pay attention to that too, because I think if your perception of Awana is on your local church level, it may surprise you that we're even engaging in research like this. But Matt, the vision that you articulate right there at the end, I know resonates with every single person who's listening or watching. It's yeah. that that's what they get out of, you know, that's what gets them out of bed in the morning. And that is something that is uh, universal across this community. Mark, I want to ask, you know, <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, one of the things that is clear from this research is a lot of the desired goals and outcomes are the same, right? The way that the research articulates it is, you know, there's a clear consensus that children should leave a kid's program knowing that Jesus loves them. So again, as sort of a background information, if we all agree on the, the goal, however you articulate the goal, you know, the research articulates the many different parts of that. Why do we get off base? Why are some folks who are listening feeling like, man, the goals of my ministry aren't clear or that they aren't supported in achieving what is an agreed upon, uh, agreed upon, excuse me, outcome? Well, I think a couple things. Um, first off, a lot of times I think research is just, it's information uh, that is stuff that's like you already knew <laughs> and it's, you know, it's good news or it's bad news, but it's just news. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we've tried to do with all this is, is take some of that type of research, but then take it the next step to, you know, real practical information that can actually change outcome. Yeah. And in in the local church uh, basis, I think that's what leaders are hungry for is, OK, I know there's a problem here. Or I know we're killing it here, but, you know, what do we do different? What do, what do we need to be doing more of or less of to actually um, start to move the needle and make a difference. And, and so often I think sometimes research just tells us, just paints a picture, but then we don't know what to do with it or where to go from there. Yeah. Cause Matt, I want to ask you the uh, same question. You know, obviously we want people to get the book and if they go to wanted.org slash shop, it's going to be released on June 17th, which is either after you're listening to this or just a few days from now, if you're one of the people who jump on this podcast, uh, as soon as it hits your feed, and if you are, thanks, I appreciate it. Um, but more importantly, I think I would love uh, you know, for you to articulate really clearly for folks, this is not something that we did as like a academic paper. Like we did this to be practical. So when you're going through this research, Matt, what stood out to you, like Mark's saying, as affirmation, but what also stood out to you as like, oh, that's a new frontier for us to explore? Well, if you if you work in the local church, whether you're as a volunteer or a staff member or a pastor, you're doing it because you you care about people. You're doing it because uh, you want to help 
minister to people, reach people with the gospel and to disciple them. And so you're feeling the real pain points of ministry today. And so (laughs) as a volunteer or a leader, you're looking around saying, what tools do I have at my disposal to be effective at what I do? And so the reason we do research, the reason we did this product is we want to give you the best tools and insight possible to make the best decisions to faithfully lead your people and minister. And so um, we had several insights that came out of this project. And one, one of the biggest ones uh, I could connect back to George Barna's work back in 2003. So if you've been in children's ministry any time, even for a year or two, you've probably heard that classic quote from George Barna's book in, from 2003, uh, which is called Transforming Children to Spiritual Champions. Uh, he released that research back then, which said that parents are the primary disciples of their kids, meaning parents are the most influential in the discipleship journey of their own kids. I, I was I was not only alive back then, I was actually doing ministry back then. And it was like, <laughs> you could hear, you could hear the children's ministry community just rejoice over that research. They, they, yeah. we, we, were, we were just saying, oh, thank God, finally someone has statistically validated what we've been trying to say for so long. And so, but, but I mean, I've, I've been in the children's ministry and family ministry community since that time. And part of the kind of the quiet whisperings back in the in the back room is, okay, but have we actually moved the needle since then? Have we been able to move the needle in getting parents to engage uh, in uh, the spiritual development of their own kids? And so I would say now it has felt like we're at a a bit of a stalemate uh, between the church and the home, meaning uh, the church has been saying, hey, parents, you're you're responsible for your kids. And your parents are going, uh, great, fantastic, but I'm not doing it. You know, so it's we're, we're, we're at this we're at the standoff. And so when we did the research, the data came back. And sure enough, it was like exactly what we were. I had a hunch, but we could actually see it in the numbers. We truly are at a stalemate, Ross. Ninety five percent. Think about that. 95% of children's ministry leaders, when asked the question, who's responsible for to disciple children, 95% of them said parents. Think about that. Yep. That's not that's not just a yes. That is a yes with like, like with seven exclamation marks that mm-hmm. parents are responsible. Okay. And I think theologically, there's a lot, there's a lot of truth to that. We could go back to Deuteronomy 6. But what's interesting, when parents were asked the same question it's relatively split, like about half, close to half of parents say the church is responsible, close to half of parents would say the congregation is responsible. So parents are kind of mixed on this issue. So we clearly have kind of a standoff. And so what I would call a stalemate, the reason I think it's important to acknowledge that is we can continue to message parents, you're responsible. But I think what we're looking for is actually action and transformation, right? Yeah. And I, I think this data helps us to finally understand where we are on, on the journey. Uh, and, and we're at we're far enough along in this journey post George Barna's 2003 research. We're far enough along to know we really haven't moved the needle. We haven't gotten beyond the message. And so we what we need to move into is community building and equipping. Like like the logical conclusions from the data is like, we're gonna continue to be at a standoff or a stalemate unless someone leads us out of a stalemate. So like when there's stalemates in real life, 
the, the way you get out of it is by someone has to figure out how to negotiate and lead through it. You don't just, you don't just stay there. You got to figure out how to get out of it. And the, the pathway forward is not to continue to message, but it's to move to equipping and community building. Because when we have communities where kids are in a community of loving, caring adults, there's a ton of research there that shows that they're more likely to grow in their faith. And secondly, when parents get equipped, they can actually begin to implement. But unless they're equipped, uh, that typically doesn't happen. So there's a lot in there that helps us yeah. walk through this conversation. Yeah. And again, you know, the purpose of this conversation initially is just for us to talk about it and talk about sort of these top line takeaways. There will be future episodes. You're going to hear us at Awana talking about this a lot. There's already been a lot of conversations at Barna um, about this project. You know, so we're not my purpose of this is not to turn each page of this research book and dive into it in this conversation. However, I highly encourage you to check out this book to make sure that you're looking at this research, to talk to your team about it and what the implications are of it. Because Mark, my question for you based off what Matt just said is, so that children's ministry leader and parent relationship, something that I thought was interesting from the research is uh, Dr. Denise Kiesbo, friend of the show, friend of the ministry, uh, more important, uh, friend of the ministry, more importantly than friend of the show. Uh, but she talked about how there's this perception that parents have because they come into this experience when they drop their kids off at children's ministry. There's professionals, there's setup, there's props, there's music. And that's part of what has created that gap. I'm curious because you are connected to so many churches and so many practitioners. How have you seen local practitioners close that gap? How have you seen them go, hey, parent, like, I know you want to do this. You know, you're part of that 50% that feels like you are, but you maybe don't feel equipped. How do people begin to equip their parents? Yeah. You know, I think it's, um, if anything, this research, I think, should give everybody confidence that, that you know, there's, there's impact that can be made with the parents that are willing, mm -hmm. but there's also things that can be done for those without. So I just want to start kind of by saying that, that, that I think there's a lot of discouraged children's leaders in the last five, 10 years, you know, that they haven't been able to get 100% of the parents on board, and that's okay. And, you know, there's other ways to kind of work around that. But with the, the parents that are willing, the families that are willing, you know, so much of it is they just want to know how. And um, in, from church to church, that's going to vary some, but an awful lot of it is really parent education. You know, as a church, we have, you know, tons of, um, uh, marriage classes, and we have adult discipleship classes, things like that, but very few parenting classes. Very, The church spends very little time actually talking about how do you actually parent a child? How do you disciple a child? And um, I think, you know, the churches that, that have succeeded here is in pulling in other parts of the church staff, other lay leaders, and getting some help and not trying to take on the full responsibility of educating, training, and motivating parents on their own, uh, that it truly is a church-wide topic. It's not just a children's ministry topic. Um, and I think that's, um, there's there's great research here to show that, that it makes a difference and uh, mm -hmm. a church can get behind this in a big way, uh, you know, from a success standpoint and just from a, a church um, growth standpoint. Yeah. Because Matt, that's where I want to take things next with you, which is, you know, the research is clear, right? 56% of children's ministers, 
56% of children's ministry leaders agree, at least somewhat, that children's ministry is often forgotten by their church. So if you, if you feel that way right now, dear listener, you are in good company. But Matt, I know that one of the ways that you've begun to put handles around this conversation is to articulate the difference between children's ministry and child discipleship. Because as Mark just said, there's a ton of resources out there for discipleship. And when we recognize the similarities with child discipleship, we're able to perhaps bring more people in and allow people to see that impact. But in case people haven't heard, how do you articulate the difference between children's ministry and child discipleship? And why does that matter to some of that church buy-in and support that Mark's articulating? Yeah. Well, again, if you're, if you're in children's ministry, you're in it because you want to help reach these kids and form them as a disciple so that when you run into them later, when they're 35 years old and they're pushing kids around the stroller, you, you want that, that thought and that feeling of, oh, they're still following Jesus. They're engaged in the church. They're engaged in their community. They're loving the Lord. That's what you want, right? Yeah. Um, but we all know, or you probably know, David Kinneman published a book about two years ago uh, called Faith for Exiles with Mark Matlock. And in Faith for Exiles, they studied Gen Z, and they found out that only 10% of Gen Z is what you would call a resilient disciple, meaning they are not only going to church and they would still be considered a Christian, but they're a disciple. They're thriving in their faith. They're engaging the Bible on a regular basis. They're involved in reaching their community. Uh, only 10%, right? So, um, but this, th that's, what you, that's what you hope that 35-year-old would be one day. So in your children's ministry, as you look around, you know, 90% of these kids are probably not going to be a resilient disciple unless we consider how to change what we're doing. Right, so right. Dave, David Kinneman, in a podcast we did together, Ross, uh, several months ago, said this exact quote. The church is woefully unprepared for Gen Z. And that's not even talking about Gen Alpha, the kids that we're ministering to now. Like those are the ones who are coming right behind Gen Z. So what is, what's my point? My point is, uh, I think we've got to change the question. I alluded to this at the beginning. We've got to change the primary question from how do we get more kids and families to our church to how do we form lasting faith in kids? And I tell you what, if you're, if you're in children's ministry, if you're a local church pastor, if you become the church that is known for reaching and discipling children, you're not going to have any trouble growing your church yep. because parents are looking, parents are seeing how kids are being formed by the culture and they're pulling their hair out, wondering and asking questions. How can, how can I really help my kids uh, to, you know, to love Jesus for a lifetime? And so if you become that church, right? So we've got, if we can change the question from how do we get more kids to how do we form lasting faith, and you keep pursuing the answer to that question, which by the way, uh, the research really helps, you know, move us along in that direction. Uh, I think you're going to be, become a children's ministry and become a church community uh, that's really seeing a different kind of gospel fruit uh, yeah. in, in this post-Christian, highly secularized world that we're in. Yeah, because I think that is a way to articulate the difference between discipleship and ministry, right? Discipleship is very focused. Ministry is very broad is what I always often hear you say. And, yeah. and the way that I think that leads also is not only is this, as you've said, a highly secularized post-Christian culture in a lot of environments, but I also think that um, one of the things that stands out to me as you know, a bigger concern of mine, my oldest is only six, is the loneliness that these kids are experiencing. And 
I know that so much of discipleship, because I work at Awana, is now placed around the power of belonging. Mm. And when you're actually creating an environment, to your point, Matt, where kids feel like they belong, your community is going to take notice because you're going to put parents like me into uh, your church who may have otherwise never stepped through those doors. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mark, I want to ask you, you know, the uh, one of the things that I'm always sensitive to with conversations like this is that people feel like they got to just throw out the playbook. They got to, you know, run into their pastor's office and beat the door down, right? That they're, they're ready to charge the hill, but that they're also having to operate within the realities of their community. And I also never want a conversation like this to feel like I'm adding an item to a to-do list uh, for a local practitioner. But can you help articulate, you know, to Matt's point about asking a different question? So many of people feel like, well, I can't do that because I'm just trying to get to Sunday. I'm just trying to get to Sunday. Can you connect what Matt is articulating here of what is creating lasting faith to how we on a local practitioner level need to also be asking different questions? Yeah, I mean, I think growth, you know, becomes less about the number of kids or the the, the addition of kids, but more in you know, what, what happens inside the kids, you know, do we grow there? And so we don't walk away from growth. It's just a different type of growth. And as Matt said, I mean, even in this new research, 90% of the parents in churches said that children's ministry was a, a deciding factor and where, you know, where they pick a church. So it, it's not, it's not the growth of numbers go away but it's a different focus and where we spend our time and our efforts. And that is an education process that I think this research can help children's ministry leaders to sit down with their leadership in the church and say, Hey, here's, here's the facts. Here's what really happens. Yeah. You know, um, all the way back to Barna's book that Matt talked about, you know, 20 years ago, you know, it was talked about, you know, most people become, you know, building a faith, faith foundation by 13. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, there's a, there's a certain window of time here and, you know, getting them in the building is been proven now with not just this research, but lots of others that that doesn't get them, you know, through that threshold by 13, yep. that it's truly growing at the faith inside of them, letting them, you know, capture and own that faith themselves is what makes the difference. And that's the, the, you know, way that we should be judging things at the scale we should be putting them on. And it's not up to just you, the local church lead, you know, ministry leader yourself, but it really is slowly changing the DNA of a church and changing because loving, caring adults are all over the building. And those, you know, from one end to the other, no matter what, what you may be serving or just showing up, you, you can, you know, you are a loving, caring adult. Or you have the opportunity to be a loving, caring adult to these kids. Um, and that belonging part is, is critical. Um, but again, it's, it's one step at a time, you know, you're not going to change it overnight, but you've got to put it up on the wall and that's your goal. And, and, you know, it's, it's change after change after change. And then you look back in a year or two years and you see, wow, we've changed everything we do and the outcome is going to be different. Yeah. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples. He, he, he wasn't in any way inferring, I want you to reach less people, right? He was, he was saying, go reach the world, go to see, you know, we see in the book of Acts, you know, the church being multiplied. We see that through all the epistles. And so like the ch growing the church is important, 
but clearly we can see churches even in the new testament that were sizable but they were hollow they were rotted out on the inside right like paul is 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 instructing them to repent and here's how to live and so so the it's not that growing the church is not important we want to reach more people for christ we want to see unreached people groups come to christ we want to see our kids remain and follow him but we more more so than that the primary motivation can't be hey let's get bigger the primary motivation has to be how can we form them as disciples in jesus christ well amen to that so we've talked a lot about this the child discipler in the many different contexts that they might occupy within the context of the church. But we also know that that's not going to be the only audience that picks up this research. That is certainly not where we at Awana or the folks at Barna want this conversation to end. So I wanna make sure we articulate plainly though. Um, we'll start with senior leadership. Folks who are executive pastors, executive leaders, who have this relationship and influence within a church but aren't necessarily connected to kids ministry. If, however, they're getting their hands on this book, what do we want them to be taking away from it? What do we want them to be implementing based off of what this research is saying? Matt, I would love to start with you. Yeah, so if, if, you're, a, if you're a pastor or you can pass this along to your pastor, you know, what is your vision for the future of your church? You know, wh whether you're gonna retire from that church or be there for the next five or 10 years, you, you wanna leave your church in a thriving condition where right. uh, your people are loving their community, they're loving one another, and they're growing as disciples. What what we found in the research is that five, or excuse me, four out of every 10 children in the United States in our churches have a loving, caring adult at that church who, who cares about them in addition to their parents. So the good news is 40% of kids have a loving, caring adult at their church. 60% do not. That's the bad news. But let's talk about the difference between the two groups of kids. The kids who do have a loving, caring adult at the church who knows them, loves them, sees them, and cares about them on a consistent basis, those kids are far more likely, like it's two to three times as more likely to be reading the Bible, to be to, to find to, to feel like they belong at church, to grow in their faith. Uh, to, uh, to, to get involved at church and at the, in their community. So what is the point? Like pastors, you can transform your, the future of your church and your church culture by becoming a highly relational community with children. Again, let's go back to that uh, David Kinnaman stat of 10%, only 10% of Gen Z are resilient disciples. Well, what would we need to do to make that 20? How about we develop a culture that's more relational with children uh, so we can come around them and see more kids experiencing a, the life of a disciple. Let, let me end with this quote. I heard this yesterday from Mark Yarhouse, Dr. Mark Yarhouse. He said this, you, meaning parent or loving, caring adult, you are base camp for your child. The quality of relationship that you have with your child is the best predictor in their well-being over time. Think that. Think about that. You're, you're, the best predictor of how, what their future is going to look like is the level of healthy relationships we have with them. And I think that's so important to go back to Matthew 28. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he didn't say, go and do literature distribution and pass out the Old Testament scrolls. As good as it is that people get the Bible in their hand, that's super important. Right. He said, go and make disciples. That means you as a person walk alongside of them and disciple them over time. That's a highly relational process, teaching them to do all the things that Jesus commanded us, baptizing them, 
that that long-term process is highly relational and the health of that relationship from a disciple maker to a to, to a child or another person is a really good indicator as the future trajectory of their life. That's a great challenge for us as the church to be disciples who are discipling other people and especially kids. Yeah. Well, because I also think one of the things that I found most intriguing about the data particularly is thinking about the those who are in whether they're parents or church leaders who are in positions of child discipleship who don't feel equipped to. Like I would encourage you as you're talking about with the, with the people in your community and your team to not make assumptions on how someone is feeling or what group they feel like they're a part of because you're going to stop the conversation short if you do that. And Mark, one of the things that I'm mindful of based on what Matt was just talking about there is this is also not just something that we want to limit to people who have church email addresses or Awana email addresses, certainly, that there is a role here for the churchgoer, as Dr. Denise Kiesba would say, the faith friend. How can folks who don't necessarily feel or don't want to be in a position of uh, uh, vocational authority also play a role in creating that culture of child discipleship in their church? Yeah, and I think that can be most effectively done from the top. Um, senior pastors, executive pastors, um, you know, children's ministry is doesn't happen in one room, you know, for an hour a week, you know, kind of scenario. It, it can happen throughout the whole building. The children are just as much a part of the whole building and the whole congregation. And I think that that mindset change, um, you know, happens with loving, caring adults throughout the whole place. I mean, there's the givens are the people working in children's ministry. I mean, they're they're there because they love and care about kids. But every adult in the building has a responsibility to to help be that loving, caring, you know, atmosphere for the children. They feel and they belong throughout the whole church. They belong to the church. And I think it's um, a culture that, um, you know, can be huge in the amount that it changes. Uh, over time, and you don't have to volunteer, you know, back in, in the kids ministry space to be part of that. Um, and a lot of it is just visibility, um, yeah. you know, that the kids need to be part of the church and, and part of functions and feel like they're, um, you know, they're doing things besides just showing up and going to a kid's church or a, a kid's class and then walking right back out the door. But they truly are active in, in participating in lots of different things throughout the church life. Totally. Because I think I want people to hear that what you just said, Mark, of there's no exclusion in this conversation. That, And particularly, I'm not going to go into the, the data here because I want you to get the book. Again, go to awana.org slash shop. Uh, you can, uh, it's, it's available starting on June 17th. But um for those of you who are of a, a you know baby boomers grandparent generation there is such a tremendous power in intergenerational discipleship regardless of what your capacity or your role is that looks like within the local church matt i want to leave last word to you here um the thing that i think people need to understand from this at a 50,000 foot view is how we are operating in a new reality 
you know, you held up all those different research projects earlier and you held up this research project. This is a way of, I think you, what you, the word you used earlier was it's a culmination of the direction we've been heading. But if I am going into a new reality, um, I dare say I need to let go of an old map and lean into a new map. And I know we're going to talk a lot about that in the context of uh, this podcast and uh, future conversations. But can you, for folks who feel like this is putting words to things that they've felt, but they haven't been able to articulate it before, what is that first step within a new reality, that first step to go from children's ministry to child discipleship? Well, you're right, Ross. The environment around us has changed. We can think about how the world was five years ago, 10 years ago, and we're feeling a lot of change. It used to be that uh, our kids were a little more protected from some of these conversations that are intersecting our faith and culture. It's kind of like the smoking section in a restaurant back in the day. There really is no such thing as a smoking section because the smoke drifts over our direction, right? It's the same way with kids. Like kids are being so impacted by all of these things. There's no way to completely protect them. So we are living in a new reality, to your point. And it goes back to what you said earlier, Ross. I, I think to really land the plane here, we have to change our thinking from children's ministry, which can mean a lot of things, to child discipleship. Children's ministry can mean child care, it can mean babysitting, uh, it can mean entertainment. And by the way, all of those things have certain levels of value that are important. But child discipleship in a post-Christian culture where that smoke is drifting over our direction completely and swallowing us up, right? Like a post-Christian, highly secularized culture, if we keep using operating off of the old map, what will the future results be? Instead of 10% resilient disciples, what if that's seven or five or three, right? We want to see that 10% grow to 20 and beyond. So in this new reality, we have to shift our thinking from children's ministry, as you said earlier, to child discipleship, because child discipleship is a target we can aim for. Yep. We, we know what the primary factors that shape long-term faith in children are, and we talk about that in the research. And I think this is, a, this is the conversation in children's ministry of the future. It's going to be exciting to see it unfold in the years ahead. Boom. Mic drop. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient child disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from the conversation as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. The podcast is mixed, edited, and produced by me, Marlon Washington, and hosted by Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from the album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.